Hi, I'm Lori. And I'm Kevin, and this is No Longer Ashamed. We are survivors of childhood sexual abuse. And we're here to share with you that if you're a survivor, you don't have to be alone. Our logo is a salamander, and the reason is a fire salamander can survive a fire, and you have survived a fire. We want to help you with your journey to healing and hope. We are all survivors together, and we walk this journey together. And you are not alone. By telling our stories, we are hoping that you will have the courage to share in your stories as well and find your voice. Because stories are so important, and for so long, I know that I wouldn't tell my story. But when I finally shared my story, that's when I got my freedom. And this is our journey and your journey to healing and hope. So come with us. We'd like to welcome Mike to the show, No Longer Ashamed. And I'm Lori. And, and I'm Kevin. Kevin. Thank you for joining us, Mike. Really appreciate you taking the time. Let's talk about how Mike found you. What led you to us? You had posted the podcast on MaleSurvivor.org on their forum, and I've been involved with that forum for a while, and I saw the podcast, and it's like, oh, well, that looks interesting, and I do listen to podcasts on my free time, and so I started listening and caught the episodes, and you guys said, hey, we want to hear from you. If you have a story you want to share, let us know. So I did. I've been sharing my story a little bit here and there, and uh -huh. I thought this would be a wonderful platform. Well, I appreciate you contacting us. And it's really important to me because I feel like it, as you may have found out, it seems that it's harder for men to share about their their history, their story, being a survivor. I'm just wondering, how did that come about for you in the beginning, your journey with healing? I know I've listened to a little bit of your stories, what you've shared on the podcast. And I know, Kevin, you've shared that you've had full memories. You didn't have any repressed memories. Yeah. Uh, most of mine were repressed. The main thing that I remembered when I was in college, I had a Methodist minister start grooming me and take interest in me. And then eventually it was sexual assault uh, yeah. with him. And luckily I was able to say no pretty clearly early on so it didn't go too, too far. Still, I think it met the, meets the legal definition of sexual assault. Yeah, anything uh, but, is too far. Right. Anything. Yeah, exactly. I had the thing happen with the Methodist minister. I mean, all these feelings started coming out. Yeah. Uh, the confusion. Why me? Did he see something in me? I mean, all this. Did I do anything? Right. Exactly. Exactly. And realizing, okay, having all these emotions and feelings come through me and I was so young, didn't really have anyone to talk to about it. Plus, being a guy, you don't really want to talk about it. Yeah. So it took time before I was able to share with a friend who then encouraged me to share it. I was in a college ministry at the time, so the leader of my college ministry shared it with him and then get some kind of help. But ever since that time, all these feelings were in my head. I mean, what's wrong with me? Is something wrong with me? Oh, wow. uh, the whole sexual identity thing. Uh, did he see something in me? The, you know, I was kind of a geek loner, uh, didn't fit in very much in high school. I Better in college, but yeah, bullies would use all kinds of names uh, towards me and 
maybe some of them were true. I didn't know. But we had a bit of technical difficulty. Mike said he moved to the East Coast. He got married. And then when his daughter was born, a lot of these feelings, although he'd already confronted some of them, were still there. And he didn't know what that was about. And that's when he started to have these repressed memories and remembering things about his dad. When he went on to the Male Survivor website to talk about it, they told him this was a thing. Play dates with dads and their young boys was a thing. And they called it trafficking. We will pick up with Kevin's question. When you were in therapy and you realized that the story actually was that you were being trafficked. Yes. Actually, we had pieced it together on Male Survivor. Just those memory gaps and what I did remember. And just by talking it out, people who knew more than I did about what does and doesn't happen Mm -hmm. uh, said, you know, that sounds like one of those boy swap events, which I had never even heard of. And we started talking about it. Then just like before, it was like a, a truth bomb hit where I realized, wow, that makes so much sense. It's a little horrifying because you're like, wait, how can this be me, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And then once you realize that this is truth and yes, this did happen, then I mean, the waves of emotion and mm-hmm. realizing the pain and feeling that hurt and going through that mourning process, it's like, wow, this actually happened to me. And then having to deal with all of those feelings coming out. It's definitely been a journey, but this past year and a half, yeah, I've been really feeling hard with all of this stuff and making tons of progress. As a result, I was with one therapist reading on Male Survivor. Most survivors of childhood sexual abuse have PTSD. Didn't know that. Uh And gee, I probably have PTSD. And yeah, you probably do have PTSD. So I talked to the counselor, the therapist, I probably have PTSD. Is that something you deal with? He said, no, but hey, let's find a specialist. And he was able to refer me to a PTSD specialist who is familiar with all of this. He's worked with tons uh, with childhood trauma, and he has been extremely helpful in getting through all of these issues and getting through the pain, dealing with it, getting it out. And PTSD therapy, it's all, it's a brand new field, really, in the last five, 10 years dealing with this. Also what they call complex PTSD, unlike military where they are, something horrible happens to them maybe once or several times that when you're a child and you have trauma, not only happen one or two times, but it's constant and your brain has that fear, fight, flight, or fawn reaction constantly. So Mm -hmm. it's trauma after trauma after trauma. And your brain is constantly in that mode, that fear, flight, fight, or fawn mode continuously, even when the trauma is not there. Right. Yeah. And so your brain is wired that way. It's what we're taught. It's what yeah. we learn, especially when you're young, your brain is developing and learning how to adapt. And when you're, when you've been taught that the world is not a safe place, you learn that that's what you store in your brain for the rest of your life, that the world is not safe. And so I have to react in certain ways because that's how I survive. We're in survival mode when we're a kid and all we know is this isn't safe. You mentioned hypervigilance when I was reading and it's like you don't even know why you're doing that, but you know what's going on all around you all the time, right? Yeah, right. Once I heard that term, that made so much sense. But yes, I had always had that where you're constantly aware of your surroundings. What's the time? Who's there? Mm -hmm. Where the exit is? It's your brain. (laughs) 
brain is spending so much energy keeping you safe mm -hmm. yes because of this fear that this trauma is going to hit so you're constantly in that mode and once i read about that it made so much sense because that was so true for most of my life since going through not only therapy but also 12-step groups i'm involved with celebrate recovery yeah uh, and other similar christian 12-step groups yeah very amazing helpful. amazing groups i have been healed from that from the hypervigilance the hypervigilance yes exactly uh, the, the fight or flight panic mode that for me it felt like a shadow or a cloud in my life because i was always just shaded everything right you know, we we're always and the way i dealt with it me and Lori contrast too and i think i contrast with you i i basically got into drugs and alcohol and i was the bad boy and i felt that since i basically thought i had been bad because of it i blame myself in a lot of ways and since i was bad i might as well be bad and you know, what i did didn't matter because i didn't matter so i kind of went to the far side in that manner and I just um, numbed myself for the most part for a long time. And that's how I suppressed that mode. But it was always kind of shading. But I, I also want to give a shout out to, like you said, the Male Survivor website. Mm -hmm. That forum is amazing. Like you said, for someone, and when I was first going into therapy, this was back in the 80s, there wasn't anything like that. There was not yeah. much at all i'm sure and i was fortunate enough that i went to a male group there was a group of five of us that we had a, a group therapy male survivors and at that time most of them they didn't know any resources i mean there were a few books out and that was it but that male survivor website is so affirming because you go on there yes. and you realize the issues that you had didn't mean that you're crazy didn't right. mean that there was something wrong with you it was a response to what happened to you and when you see that with the other survivors it's so affirming to know that you're not crazy you're not messed exactly. up it's just you're dealing with what happened there's a term used on there recently csa normal so many things oh ptsd yes that's csa normal yeah there's yeah. so many things that so many of these men have dealt with it puts some normalcy on it. It's like when this happens, yeah, you will have most likely a whole bunch of symptoms in common with all these other men who have gone through it. Yeah. It's so helpful to keep realizing, okay, I'm not insane, even small stuff, even weird stuff. For me, when I would see things that would resonate, I would realize, oh, I had no idea that was actually going on, but it is. And it kind of right. opens your eyes to things right. that you're really, you don't pay attention to because they're just part of your normalcy. Exactly. We normalize these things right. exactly. because we don't know any better and then when you see that this is part of what happened to me part of my history part of my reaction and this reaction is not healthy but it's just the way we do it right. and so to have that resource i'm just so thankful for that website it's amazing one of the reasons i'm doing this podcast is also because you don't hear men talking about this generally right. and that's why i applaud you for your testimony and what you've done to talk about it and even even in the newspaper, that's that's amazing, you know, to come out and oh. say, because I know how hard it is for men to actually even tell someone close about this, let alone publicly. Yeah, the newspaper that was with the Methodist minister that goes back to that story where they published right that when I started going through this and reading 
some of the other survivors, uh, several were abused by Catholic priests, and they're currently as adults now fighting that, realizing with clergy abuse such systemic problems, and the Boy Scouts as well, they would just reshuffle where these offenders are, send them to new places, so they'd be out of that, hopefully not cause any more trouble, but of course they do. Yeah. Catholic Church and the Boy Scouts get a lot of that publicity, but my experience was with the Methodist Church. Once I heard these stories, I thought it's time to revisit that. So what I did, I contacted those in the United Methodist Church about what had happened. They referred me to the person who is dealing with all these issues and after Me Too movement, yeah. they've had tons of complaints about stuff that happened 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago, yeah. uh, all coming to the forefront because people are getting the courage as others share to share their own truth. They were swamped with calls during the last few years with this Me Too movement, me as well. I shared with them and they were able to get to the local parish, go through the files and found information in there. My abuser, the Methodist minister, well, let me back up what happened at time of the abuse. About two years later, I had told my story to my pastor at the time. He realized, yes, we need to confront this guy. I had heard he was doing similar things with other teenage boys. And so I knew it needed to be stopped. Yeah. And so that gave me the courage to then tell my pastor we were able to confront him with his leadership. By this time, I was going to a different church, a different denomination, and we were able to confront the leadership, let them know what had happened, and had a meeting confronting him. He admitted to just about everything. Wow. They were shocked. He excused it as like full body massage, that kind of thing. Mm. And they were just appalled that he actually admitted to all these things, but all that was in the record. He was near retirement. He basically got a, a wrist slap. He was sent for counseling. Also that he wasn't supposed to be around children uh, anymore. Even though I was an adult at the time, I was a late bloomer. I looked, could easily pass for 16 yeah. at the time, even though I was 20. As far as I knew, we left it at that. But then fast forward, I reopened that. They looked at the files, found the files. Apparently when he was going through counseling, he wrote me a letter. He has oh, since yeah. died five years ago, but he had written me this letter. By that time, I had moved on to another church. The pastor who I was with me, he had moved on to another church body elsewhere, still within the same denomination, but he wasn't there anymore. And so when this letter came to their office, apparently they didn't know what to do with it. So, and they didn't have my current address at the time. So we're assuming it just got put in a file cabinet somewhere. So I never got it because I confronted the church about this. I actually ended up getting a copy of that letter really? and that they sent to me literally from the grave because he had passed away yeah. five years ago. To be honest, it felt like a forced homework assignment during counseling kind of thing. Uh -huh. So it didn't seem too genuine, but it was interesting to read. I ended up talking to the local newspaper of that college town mm -hmm. and they ended up writing a story about that. It was a sense of closure, more or less, because I got this letter after the abuse. That was their mm -hmm. angle, their hook for the article. And it was a nice article, but yeah, talking about that. You were really brave to come forward because Kevin and I talk about this often. When a woman re realizes that, especially if we've had repressed memories, it's so difficult, but there is a lot more, I think, sympathy. And when Kevin was going to share his testimony, it was a big deal. Some of us were like, we don't want you to because you're going to get judged. And he felt God was calling him to do that. And I am proud of him for doing it. We knew he had a lot more to lose than a woman would have. Right. Because suddenly there's that judgment of, oh, maybe something is wrong with you, right? Right. Just the fact that you were brave enough. And that's why I agreed to do this 
podcast because I just want people to hear all the stories and know that if that's something, there's no story that's less or more. If anything has happened, it matters. And like what you were saying uh, about the Methodist priest, anything, any line they cross with a child is wrong and abhorred. The effect that it has that matters. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily the the magnitude, it's the effect. Mm -hmm. And if it had an effect. On that note, for me, at first, it was really difficult because I was so afraid of the fallout. Do you think you had that kind of issue as well with the fallout? Definitely the fear of the fallout. I'm starting to share it more. I shared it in small groups with individuals, also at the recovery group and sharing there as well. And they're safer places where actually my home church is gearing up to host their own Celebrate Recovery ministry. And I know sharing my story will be part of that. And I've written my testimony and gotten it approved. You've read it. Yes. To be able to share it on stage at CR events. Haven't yet, haven't had that opportunity yet, but uh, I know for our own church, that's going to be coming because I'll be sharing my story and I'll probably be sharing it in front of the church. And only a few of them know the story. It's also a bit scary because so many people assume, oh, you were abused. That means, especially for men, you automatically, that means you will become an abuser Mm -hmm. and you are not safe with children, which is, is horribly untrue. Yes, offenders were usually abused themselves, but by and large, out of all those who were abused, only a very, very, very small percent become abusers. I think that also goes back to your point when you realized that one in six men were abused. I think most people don't realize the magnitude of how many men and women, one in four women and one in six. The stigma is there because there is a grain of truth to it. I mean, there are a lot of perpetrators that were abused, but people don't realize that there's a lot more men that are abused that never re-abuse, that become good fathers, right. good people exactly. that are just suffering from the effects. We do a show about stigma, and that's one of the hardest parts for me at first about sharing was wondering what the effects of the stigma, how that would affect people's opinion of me afterwards. Right. Frankly, it it hasn't been an issue for me. I have been... You were so well received. Yeah, I have been very blessed in that most people do want to care and to be considerate, really supportive. I've had a large amount of support and I've even shared at my work about this podcast. One of the things when I started the podcast was, how am I going to talk about this? You know, <laughs> When he was going to have a podcast, I'm like, well, because he's got this voice you can obviously hear. Right. And so we're thinking about what it's going to be. And he knows what it has to be, what he's called to do. And he's yeah. like, not that. <laughs> I immediately thought, I'm not sure if this is a great idea, yeah. but I knew it was just something I, I think we have to overcome the stigma by making it more familiar. Right, exactly. The more we share, the more it gives freedom to other men to share their stories, their truth. Exactly. And to family members, because often a family member will know that something's happened and they don't know how to help that child. And so when they hear it, they know, oh my goodness, there are resources. There are people to talk to. So not only does it help the survivor, like you hearing that Oprah story, but it it helps family members go, oh, there is something I can do. We don't have to brush it under the rug. Yeah, there is help. I come from a different background with religion. Now you, like I, you didn't grow up in the church. 
You, right. You, no, not at all. At an early age, you were drawn to the church. Yes. Yes. Uh, in high school, I started uh, attending youth groups that mm -hmm. reached out, and they actually bused us to from several schools in the area to the central school, did all kinds of fun, goofy, teenage-friendly activities to get us interested with rock music. Uh, this is, <laughs> I'm aging myself, this, this is the 80s. Yeah, similar to Young Life. It was their own design right. from the Baptist church I was going to. So when you're walking through your healing, you know, for Kevin, it's like he felt felt like forgiveness, all the things that we've talked about. What was your process? Good question. I know over before I listened to the HBO special, even a few years prior, I was able to seek professional counseling over some of the issues. Though, again, she was not a PTSD specialist at all either. I didn't even know I had PTSD at the time, <laughs> mm -hmm. but she was very helpful. We did different behavioral things. Once I saw that special and realized, yeah, God was telling me, yeah, you need to work on your stuff now. It was educating me, realizing what opportunities were there. Also on Male Survivor, they talked about Weekend of Recovery, which is something they used to host, basically a men's retreat for yeah. survivors. It then has spun off into their own ministry with menhealing.org. They host these Weekend of Recoveries now. So I was able to go oh, to really? that last fall. Wonderful opportunity where oh. it's men from all over the area who come for this weekend, all survivors. The goal is to be able to network, to eventually share your story there. And because we all have PTSD, we all have that hypervigilance, we all feel unsafe, and now we're with strangers <laughs> and trying to right. share our stories. And the counselors for these weekends, they're all professional therapists. They've done this for years. And so wow. they know they build layer upon layer upon layer of safety. Even the initial interview, it's safety, safety, safety. They go through the rules. It's very clear. Safety, 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 safety. So you even get there, you realize, oh, this sounds like it's going to be a safe place. <laughs> the first night, they build exercises to try to emphasize the safety with each other and any fears that you have, just building that again and again. So by the second day, in the afternoon, when it is time to share, you are able to because you do feel safe. Yeah, you, yeah. You've gotten in touch with your small group and you you feel that safety. So it is safe trust. to share. You have this built-in network of these guys you went through this experience with yeah. that was just phenomenal. Learning how similar just like the male survivor forums, how similar they would do exercises. Oh, well, who has done this? If you have done this, step forward. And like most of the circle steps forward <laughs> and they would go statement after statement after statement. You realize how much you have in common with all in these common, other men. Yeah, yeah. And it was just wonderful, wonderful experience. Due to COVID, they've had to reshuffle. Yeah. They're still yeah. offering many weekends remotely. I would highly recommend that was key for my healing as well. Yeah. And then continuing going through that between my therapy, my 12-step group, my church, it was very, very helpful. And recovery is long-term. Yes. It, wouldn't it be great if we could say, you know, I'm recovered. I'm curious because as I was raising my kids, there were kids they were friends with or that I saw in the community that I sort of had a feeling maybe they were struggling. And I know like with foster kids, they've been pulled out of situations. Did you ever have a sense of that with any kids that there was just something that you thought maybe they were going through? You had like this intuition about? Kind 
kind of, yes. It's like my inner child connects with their inner child. Mm -hmm. You can sense that with kids, but how do you reach out? Because if you're not that close to them, it's... Yeah. Can't walk up and say, hey. <laughs> yeah. Interesting happened in our neighborhood. We had a girl that we knew her, her by her behavior, but we knew her dad was doing something. And right. he, he was really creepy. I actually made the phone call to CPS. And what happened was they turned it around and they blamed their mom. They wouldn't say him. anything about their dad. It just showed me that you try to help, you try to do what's right, but mm -hmm. it's not always going to make that difference right. them getting out of the house isn't necessarily always the answer which is right. just feels so wrong but yeah. well and they were probably taught by their father that was the mother's yeah. fault or you know exactly used some way to manipulate the right. story to them so that and they would blame her the grooming is so sophisticated oh. and i know oftentimes the abuser can just use their position so yes. the fact that they're the father mm -hmm. and they can manipulate that so easily and that sense of power i mean how easy is it okay you need to say this 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 or right. i'm gonna kill the dog or i'm gonna mm -hmm. you know you can terrorize the children to oh, do yeah. whatever you need to do yeah. in that grooming yeah. process they realize oh he me means business right yeah. it's like with the domestic violence you know people always say why doesn't she just leave yeah. well what they don't know is he's told her if you leave i'm killing the children i'm killing right. your mother and we saw it happen with hudson uh, Jennifer yeah. Hudson. So yes. it's a very real thing. And I think that the mixture of the PTSD and there's just the fear of because you're a kid and you don't know what's happening. There's just so much compassion. And when you first started talking, I actually felt like I was going to throw up because mm -hmm. it hurt my heart. Yeah. And there, there's so much pain with it, being able to step through that. And I know I was told God never wastes a pain. He doesn't cause it. <laughs> it's a broken world, but he won't waste it. So <laughs> he will use that pain that you experience to help give hope to other people. Did you ever struggle with God during your process? For me, it sometimes was a problem and i didn't give my life to jesus until i was older until i had mm -hmm. actually gone through quite a bit of recovery right. up until that time i had been searching but i didn't really feel invited i felt right. like i was so broken that i wouldn't be accepted at church right most of my memories were repressed so i was already involved in church i was already saved i'd been to the youth group and then before marriage when i reached college the thing happened with the methodist minister, minister yeah yeah i think at that point there was some blaming god why would he allow that to happen but my faith was strong enough. I think I, I worked through that pretty quickly, knowing it was just the minister's mm -hmm. fault and not God's fault. I think I was mm -hmm. able to work through that pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. And then by the time I reached age 30, then uncovering all this other abuse, I think my relationship with God was better. Yeah. So I was able to deal with it a little bit more, but I had already entered into fatherhood. So yeah, I had, that just increased my fears. Okay, how messed up am I? Am I going to mess up my child and eventually mm -hmm. children? We have, I have a son as well. Those fears just increased. I didn't do a lot of God blaming. I know that's extremely common. And you read male survivors, there's tons of that. People yeah. really have a hard time with yeah. their faith or with any kind of spirituality because they do blame God yes. for a lot of this. But that happens with anyone who experiences any kind of trauma or tragedy. Trauma. Yeah. Yeah.
that's why it's so heinous, uh, the clergy yes. abuse, because it's not only yes. the sexual, not only the abuse of power, but the spiritual abuse. Yes. yes. The fact that he is your link to God and somehow twisting that. Yeah. And yeah, it's just so horrific. Yeah. It's almost like damning the survivors. Right. Because they're giving up on their relationship with God. Right. Huh. Is this what it means to have a relationship to God is to have this mm -hmm. abusive relationship with this, this clergy person? I, I actually and, have a, a friend who that that's practically exactly what he says yeah. because uh, he was abused and his relationship with God is, is forever damaged because of that. But he doesn't want to reconcile with mm -hmm. God about that. Right. Because sometimes we want to stay mad. For me, I hate to say this. It's very embarrassing, but I think I wanted to be the victim. I sort of wanted to live in the, oh, well, I've had a rough life. And it wasn't until I finally started to realize that through recovery, I think it was probably celebrate recovery, but it was before it mm -hmm. was called that. Are you looking for sympathy? Are you looking for healing? And just having people speak the correct words. Mm-hmm was so wonderful because I remember the hardest thing for me was a girlfriend of mine remembered being abused by a family friend and she went to her mom and her mom just sobbed and apologized and yeah I was like what the heck everyone in my world's like yeah no that didn't happen <laughs> yeah I didn't remember from your testimony if your father's still alive or not he is he's 80 still alive I've had not any contact with him for 20 20. years mm -hmm. uh -huh. but yes he's still alive uh his father my grandfather lived to be uh in his late 90s so i uh, was able to research more with family members and he also was abused as as a child from what i understand they took in a border uh his parents my grandparents for a short time and he stayed in the boys room and then suddenly he was kicked out very last minute pack your bags and leave this instant this is from one of my aunts his sister who told me this we think that's probably when it happened because soon after that that's when uh he was abusive towards his siblings as well soon after that time and pretty sure that's when that happened so he was also a victim and that's kind of helped with my healing process as well and going through the forgiveness of him even though i don't want contact with him necessarily yeah yeah i can i can empathize thighs and realize he too was a survivor that doesn't condone what he did to no. me and others but it helps me understand yeah gives you some and, compassion right exactly exactly yeah forgiveness so. is tricky because so many people view it as a, a form of condoning or, yeah, or right. making not. an excuse for survivors. Forgiveness is more about ourselves, yes, about healing ourselves. To, because when we don't forgive, I know for me, I didn't want to forgive because I wanted to hold on and, and still kind of punish my perpetrator right. with, with that refusal to forgive. But it wasn't until God taught me how to forgive and I couldn't have mm -hmm. done it on my own. I mean, it, right. it took God to, you know, reach out and make me realize that it wasn't about letting them off the hook. It was about my healing. Do you ever have basic youth conflicts? I've heard of it. I did not, was not involved in that. It was kind of a big deal. And every time they came to Seattle and I, I don't remember much, but I remember him saying, if you don't forgive, you will become just like that person. And I was 14 mm. years old and wow. that I mean, in my heart, I forgave my mom because I didn't want to be like her. And so right. 
when it did come to forgiveness, for me, that was never an issue. It was more acknowledging and saying this really happened. Knowing that bad father example that I had, uh, becoming a father to my own kids was difficult journey. And then also the concept of Father God. Yes, right. That was so skewed. Mm -hmm. God really used my own children as teaching tools to me. When my daughter was first born, it wasn't RH positive, but it was some other similar blood issue. So they needed to draw blood to do tests to make sure she was okay. She got my blood genes. I I clot very quickly and she clots very quickly. So she's three days old getting a blood drawn and they do it from the heel. So they've got to squeeze that heel to get all the blood out and it kept clotting. So they kept squeezing harder and harder. She's wailing. My wife was freaking out in the chair Uh and I was holding my daughter and uh, realizing, yes, it hurts, but I have you. It's okay. I know it hurts and I'm so sorry it hurts. Yeah, you're going to go through pain, but I am there. I am your father God and I will, I am there for you. I will be there with you. And all kinds of teaching moments with my kids, showing them love, showing them discipline, the heavy. Yeah. As parents, we have to do sometimes. He would say, that's how I am with you. And it helped restore that father God relationship to really understand how he is with me and how I was with my kids. My mantra was my dad loved me wrong. And so what we don't realize is when we internalize that. So, you know, my girlfriend would always say, call God, Papa and daddy. And I was like, yeah, no, he loves me wrong. You know, that was, I didn't say it, but that's what was going on. So I had to really learn to retranslate that and see God differently. He did care. For many years until I was a father, it's like, okay, Father, Son, Holy Ghost. It's like, okay, well, me and Jesus, fine, we're good. And I'll just focus with that. But Father, it's like, no, I ain't dealing with that. Yeah. And so it really took, yeah, me having my own kids for that Father-God relationship to be restored in me. When you first shared with your spouse, was that, I mean, is that who you shared with first? was that really a stepping stone for you? I was in a support group when I, that's where I got the book that talked about the story. I think it was one of Leanne Payne's books. Great Christian author, had the story of gal who was abused and I was reading that. I was at work, a break between uh, assignments in my car. Uh, I was in DC at the time. So I'm I'm parked, I'm reading this and I'm just bawling because all this stuff is going. So I ended up calling that that, uh, ministry leader and sharing with him what had happened Mm -hmm. and realizing this had happened to me. So he kind of talked me down and got me in a safe place and talked through it. I'm sure my wife would remember the details. She's really good at that. I'm sure I told her right away after I got home that evening what Mm -hmm. I had discovered. She was a big support on my journey as I was trying to uncover all of these issues and these truths and realizing what had happened. Our second anniversary, we went back to Oregon and she met my father. We we met. Really? Uh, we met for dinner at the time. This was before I knew that he had abused me. Oh. So I, that was still repressed. So she had mm. met him. And so then when this other truth came out, she knew who this person was because she mm-hmm. had indeed met him before. Yeah, she's been able to be there and help me through this, definitely. Well, one of the things we're doing this for is also to bring awareness to people as far as spouses, family members, friends and we talk about what can you say when someone does share with 
with you. Was there anything that you felt was really helpful when you were first coming well, out with this? With my wife, she was with me for the whole journey. My sister, I only recently told her about it. This was after our mother died and we were talking about that. And I thought she knew some of the history because let me back up. I had two sisters. When I was in college, yeah. one was killed by her abusive husband. Oh, um, I'm so sorry. And oh, that's horrible. Then, so at my sister's funeral, my father was being his normal self and mm -hmm. basically upset everyone, all of the family members, by how he behaved. Then on the way back from the funeral, my two aunts were right in front of me and my mother, and we overheard them talking. One had shared to the other that my father had abused her sexually as a child mm -hmm. and their other other sister. And then there was four sisters all together. The two were at the funeral. And then the other sister said, he abused me and this other sister too. Mm -hmm. So he had, it came out and my mother and I overheard this whole conversation that he had abused all four of his sisters. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then talking to my mom about that, did that make sense? And then when I realized my own issues of that this happened to me and that's how it all got confirmed. I was able to talk to these aunts and mm -hmm. share stories and realize, oh, what I remembered happening is what they remember happening. Mm -hmm. And so obviously, yeah, that means it was him. I was trying to bring up the concept of abuse to my mother before she passed away yeah. and just brought up that conversation, remembering when we heard what the aunts were saying. What did you ever think about that? And she said she could never wrap her head around it. She uh -huh. just didn't understand how that could happen. So I know from stories I was told he would basically get her, they'd go party, get her drunk so she would pass out. Mm. Then he could do what he wanted. Yeah. So I really think she had no idea what was going on. So I realized, yeah, she wasn't in a place to hear it. Yeah. And then within a few years of me bringing that up, she died. She passed away. Mm. After she passed away, I brought it up to my surviving sister because I thought for sure this was 20 years after my sister passed. I'm sure my mother would have told her this story. She apparently never did. So I'm talking to my sister about this. Well, you know about all this stuff that happened with the father and the rapes of the... And he, what? She had never really? heard the story. Wow. So I'm breaking it to her about what happened to them and then also threw in that it happened to me too. Mm -hmm. She said... It, she was taken aback, but she said, wow, I believe you. That must have been really hard. Oh, wow. I'm so glad. And I was floored because I was never going to bring that up to her. Of course, she says she has no memories of childhood. So if yeah. it happened to her or not, she yeah. has blocked everything out. Not uncommon. And right. actually, that's almost a, a symptom that yeah. would point right. towards it. That was me. I have a lot less memory than my brother's. <laughs> Let's put it that right. way. I don't remember. Wow. I don't retain memories well. Mm -hmm. But, but that, meant, that meant so much that she not uh, she believed me. Yes. Just the fact yes. that she, right away, that, that she something. believed me. Yeah. Yeah. It does. We've never been terribly close over the years. Mm -hmm. But the fact that she would say that, yeah, just meant tons. Then we talked about it and how that that must have been really hard and remembering that and dealing with that. So yeah. someone tells you that, believe them, let them know that you believe them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because so important. you don't make this stuff up. Right. Who yeah. would? Yeah, Who exactly. would? Right. If you make something up, it's going to be a good story to cover up the bad. <laughs> right. You don't exactly. make up bad to cover up the good. Yeah. Right. If they right. come and tell you, believe them. Yeah. Yeah. Because it takes so much guts to be able to share that yeah. truth yeah. because yeah. it is it 
is painful and there's so much shame with it, even though the shame isn't ours. It's right. on the perpetrator, mm -hmm. but it is so difficult to share that truth. So you need to believe them. Thank you for that. I mm -hmm. think that's so important. And I thank you for your courage to yeah. share. So thankful that you, you contacted us yeah. because um, yes. I'm looking forward to keeping in touch. It, it reminds me that you're never too young or too old to right. go on this journey. Right. It's never too late. Right. It's yeah. never too late yeah. to start, get the healing, find the people you can trust and right. to go through the process. And it's, it will change your life. Yeah. Right. And yeah. looking on male survivor and other support groups I'm involved with so many men in their fifties and sixties, yeah. yeah. they're finally a point where they are able to deal with this mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah. Maybe it's time to start working on me yeah. and my stuff. And then, yeah. yeah, it's time to deal with this stuff. And I think I that's, think that's very common as men. We, we tend to shove stuff down so we right. can be the provider exactly do that kind of thing and we put ourselves second and then not that it's healthy but it's no. right. truthful it works so that's it for today we are going to have a prayer time if you want to stick with us if not we believe in you we want to hear from you we want to hear your stories if you like this podcast please rate and review because that's how other people can find us and we really want to spread this message we tell people we're wrapping up, but we are going to pray. So would you like to stay on and pray with us? I would love that. Oh. Awesome. Well, Father, I thank you for all your blessings, especially for this time together and for this time with Mike. Mm -hmm. um, thank you for your blessing in his life, your, the way you've reached him and given him courage and encouraged him to be a good father like you are. This world needs so many good fathers, Lord. And I'm just thankful you have been there through this process and also been there when he's had those times of um, doubting or anger towards you, Lord, that you've been persistent in his life throughout all of this. They would realize that you are the good father and you want to be there in their lives mm -hmm. and to be the healer, to be the supporter, to be the encourager in their lives, to give them the hope that they need. Lord, and I just pray that your presence would be felt in their lives. Father, I thank you so much for Mike's story and that the way it all happened kind of backwards where he realized the teen thing and then the child thing. And Lord, there's so much compassion for that little child. But I thank you that um, he is a godly man and you've given him the courage to step out and speak his truth because we know that's not easy. Mm -hmm. And the fact that he's willing to talk to us on this show, thank you, Lord, because it shows how he wants to be there for other men, other yeah. women that have struggled. And Lord, I thank you. I, I loved it when he said there was never really an issue between you and him. And we all deal with it so differently, Lord. And I just thank yeah. you so much for working in his life and, and Lord, for the protection of mm. repressed memories that sometimes we just don't need that. <laughs> we got to buck up and do what we got to do. And so I thank you so much for his testimony. I thank you for the people I know he's reached out to and lives he's changed just by telling his story. Yes. So I thank you so much for bringing him our way. And I pray for blessings on his life and his family. And thank you for his courage and Kevin's courage to speak up and speak these hard truths. And thank you that you are a crazy, crazy good God. In your name. Amen.